Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Dairyland Talk podcast. I'm Brandon Carwile. I'm Gage Bridgeford. And I'm Adam Zabrowski. All right, so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We were previewing Green Bay's game against the Dolphins. And obviously the Packers came out on top. Another home win, 4-0-1 at home, 0-4 on the road. Um, The defense came up huge with some timely turnovers. Um, You guys want to go in on that? Yeah, Gage, you want to start us off? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, the like Brock Osweiler had honestly done a really good job at quarterbacking for Miami, kind of taking over for uh, taking over for Tannehill during this injury. But uh, I think, but his turnover, he's always been turnover prone, and I think that really showed up on Sunday. Uh, that interception, that was just a, it was a bad throw. He was way behind his receiver; it wasn't even close. Breland made a great play on the ball, which is good to see after he got just torched by Josh Gordon the week before. Um, and then the, like the, the sack, the sack stats at the end of the day, it said they had six sacks. That's a little inflated due to like right near the end of the game, they racked up a few and it was pretty much over anyway, but they still had good consistent pressure on him. Kenny Clark continues to be like the, one of the best defensive tackles in the league. If it wasn't for Aaron Donald, I think he could easily make a case for the best one right now. Um, but I think the defense played really well. Um, there's still some stuff to work on. Frank Gore should not look 25 against them. Adrian Peterson did the same thing earlier this year. So that's something that kind of scares me a little bit going into like the colder months, you know? Oh yeah, I agree. Um, same thing pretty much. I was happy to see Kenny Clark continue his, his wonderful season. Um, like you said, you know, he's not one of those big name guys like Aaron Donald or Donald, excuse me, but. He gets the job done, and I think with age, you will start to hear about him more, and I think you know, the general football fan base will start to hear about him more. But I, I'm very proud of the secondary, um, Raven Green stepping up back there because you know everyone. it seems to be the common case that everyone just drops like flies every game. You can almost expect a few injuries from the Packers. Um, but you know when Kevin King going out, and like you said, Gage Breland, it was great to see him come back, uh, have a bounce back performance after you know Josh Gordon absolutely torched him uh, last Sunday night. So it's good to see these guys in the secondary coming in and doing their jobs. But then, like we previewed before, it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow with all these injuries that came from Miami. But you, know, you can't complain too much when you're only giving up field goals. It was a good overall game for the and for the defense in its entirety. Yeah, I'm really glad you guys touched on Breland's bounce-back performance because I had actually tweeted at him um, after that New England game, and he responded to it. Yeah, he wasn't too happy. (laughs) He wasn't really happy about that, and I had actually heard from some Redskins fans um, that he does not take criticism well, um, which I thought was funny. Um, But, yeah, I'm really glad he stepped up, got the pick. I thought that was definitely a game-changing play. And, you know, it's it's tough to do that after not playing pretty much the whole season. He he, he does look fresh. Um, 
and he looks like he's really intuitive on the defense. He seems to be understanding um, schematically what's going on as well. Um, but let's go ahead and touch on Aaron Jones. Um, huge day. What did he have? 145 yards rushing? Yeah, because oh, my fantasy yeah. opponent had him. So, you know, <laughs> it was an awkward day for me. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate, man. He had a he had a great day. Uh, not to step over, not not to step over you, but yeah, it was just it was amazing to watch. Um, still, only 15 carries, which when you take into account the fact of how many yards he did end up having, you're like, this guy just how can he only have 15 carries? Like he, I think he had on the day like 17 total touches. He had 15 carries, 145 yards, two touchdowns. But he's just he's so good. And that's why I was happy that after the game, Rogers said pretty much like give the guy the ball more he deserves it he was pretty much getting 10 yards a touch in that game and granted yeah that won't happen against a ton of NFL teams but he's still on average is getting over five yards a touch in his career so I mean the numbers don't lie here yeah he won't average 10 yards a carry every game but you know that he's going to pound his way for yards he's a small dude and uh, to me the biggest the biggest factor with him is his grit out there because he's not afraid to lower his shoulder when he pounds it up the A or B gap. And I love to see that from a smaller and explosive guy like him. But overall, just that that was the day he needed to put his name out there, open up the eyes of, you know, McCarthy and Philbin. And, you know, hopefully, yeah, he will get more touches tomorrow night. Right. And I was going to say, I really cannot remember him going down on first contact. He always is grinding out runs. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, I don't know if anybody else saw the uh, fact that he currently like holds the like lead for most uh, like yards per carry in NFL history. So, he, which has long been held by Eric Dickerson, and currently is held by Jones. Is it going to remain that way forever? Not necessarily. But right now, Aaron Jones is technically leading a stat <laughs> over Eric Dickerson, who's one of the better running backs of all time. You know, and it would be nice to even see him even just get a few more. Trickle his way up there, 15 against Miami, maybe 18 to 20 against Seattle, and then start getting him over 20 against Minnesota. I think if they work him up like that, it'll be a lot easier than just saying, all right, here, you're going to get the ball 25 times tomorrow night, you know? I think exactly. That. Yeah. Yeah, but for he's sure. Himself, he's proven himself. Yeah. Um, another thing, you mentioned Raven Green earlier. Uh, loved the performance that he gave. He almost had a pick there that was – that was close. Um, I think I think that he kind of get he kind of gives me that like Jair Alexander vibe. Like he can energize like the entire team just by playing because he plays with such good energy. Like the let's see, he had the sack on he had the sack on uh, Osweiler. Jeez, I was blanking on the name there. He had the sack on Osweiler. Uh, a great blitz. Uh, Mike Pettin still one of the best like coordinators in terms of drawing up blitzes in the NFL. And like just like going back and just watching the plays that he creates with his defense and puts him in just the right situation is just great to watch. I'm happy you're giving him credit because to the average fan, they're looking and it's, it's the player doing it. And don't get me wrong. I mean, they have to execute still, but you said it perfectly Patton and his blitz packages and the way he disguises them. You have Raven green getting a sack in there. Adams got in there for a sack. Finally, you know, it's just, it's when you see the guys in the secondary and these second stringers coming in and getting sacks, you know, something's working and, you just, you just ask yourself, where has Petten been for the past few years? Because if, if he was here against Seattle, maybe against Atlanta, the Packers should have one more Super Bowl under their belt. In fairness to Montrevious Adams, uh, yeah, I, like after the preseason, 
I'm surprised he hasn't played more. I don't know if any if you guys watched his preseason play at all. Yeah, he, was, he, he was good. He was solid. He was great. I think that he would start on some of like the weaker defensive lines in the NFL. Would he be a starter on like a really good defensive line like Los Angeles or whatever? No, but I think but he played super well, and I think he should definitely be in the rotation more than he has been so far. I agree, and I, I think part of the reason why he wasn't is because they're trying to nurse him back. Probably, I mean, he was out pretty much his entire rookie season. So it's hard for a guy to sit out his whole first year and then step right back in. So if the plan with him is just to kind of nurse him in, like I was saying with Jones, kind of build his way up, by all means, keep doing it because he was pretty explosive last game. And it would be nice to see him get some more downs every single game from here on out. Agreed. Yeah, and I don't want him to take away reps from, you know, Clark or Daniels, but I don't know if you guys watched um, Dean Lowry against Miami, but he had a tremendous game. I mean, he is so strong. He was walking the guard literally in Osweiler's, like, lap. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's why when Mo Wilkerson went down, though, I wasn't panicking because I saw what – I don't know about you guys either. I saw what Dean Lowry did last year, and I was very impressed with him being, you know, mid-round pick and all. But whenever – I don't know about you guys either, though, but whenever the Packers get one of those guys from a smaller school in the later rounds – I'm usually pretty hopeful because more times than not, they pan out. And that's just me remembering back in the course of history. I mean, that's very fair. Like, uh, I think that the Packers do a great job of drafting like those. They do a great job of getting those guys in the middle rounds. I think the main reason that they're that the team hasn't been as good as they swing and miss in the top rounds. And I think that's been part of their problem. Like their whole, like their first round failure is so notorious. It's, not funny at this point. Like, like just recent first round picks of, uh, let's see, we who let's see. I mean, haha, Clinton Dix was good until he was gone. You had Randall really proved himself. Yeah, Demarius Randall, but that's. I mean, he was always played in the wrong position. Well, Clark didn't even have a great rookie year either. Kenny Clark had a good rookie year. It wasn't was he, amazing, he but he just he just needed time. He you had to think about it. He's just turned twenty three. Right, exactly. He just turned 23. And coming into the league, well, he was pretty he much was just like 19. 21. He was yeah, like 19. He was like 19 beer, yeah. turned 20, yeah. But yeah, time is the essence with him. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you guys said. And I think it's the same thing with Lowry. Just give him time. And the only reason that I don't think he gets enough credit is because he's not one of those big-name guys, you know, like Clark is yet. Although Clark is starting to come up with, uh, you know, the broadcasters. You'll hear them bring him up, but... If Lowry gets some more some more reps on defense, I think you'll be hearing his name a lot too. All right, so we just ta- touched on Montrevis Adams, a third rounder. Let's pivot over to another third rounder in Kyler Fackrell. He's currently tied for the team lead with five sacks. I believe he's tied with Blake Martinez. What have you guys seen from Fackrell so far this year? Um, for me, just pretty much everything I saw last year, just – a guy that's going to get out there and play physical. He's not the strongest, but his technique is what gets him through. And I remember I wrote an article back in the summer where I was talking about how Fackrell could step in. It was after Jake Ryan got hurt. And somebody commented on it saying he's that of an AFL linebacker. And I have never laughed so hard because I guess they're not watching the same game or film that I am. Fackrell's a good athlete, and it's good to have somebody like him on the edge. Um, Would it be nicer if he could bench a little more? Yeah, but. You can't complain, you know, you can't complain with the product productivity that he's given so far. I mean, yeah, he's been, he, he's honestly been a lot better than I was kind of expecting coming into the year. Edge, edge rusher is still a major weak point for this team. 
And if we're being fair, Fackrell should really only have four sacks. He got credited with that one where Josh Allen, no, Josh Allen fell down. Josh Allen, Fackrell didn't touch him. They blew the play dead because they thought Fackrell tripped him, which he didn't actually, if you go back and watch the film. But I mean, Fackrell has been good. And uh, with Nick Perry already being ruled out for this week, he's going to see a major uptick in his snaps. And against the like the Seahawks' strength of their offensive line, which it's not a strength at all, but their tackles are their strength. So he'll have to have a good game and try and get Russell Wilson mobile. Like Wilson, one of the best mobile quarterbacks, but he when he's on the run, he seems to just not be as effective as he is in the pocket. Well, there's a reason too why Petten only kept four edge rushers, or I guess he wanted to keep. Four edge rushers, you know, it's obviously uh, Gooch's decision who makes the final roster. But Reggie Gilbert had a lights out preseason, and Fackrell too has just been steadily increasing his effectiveness over the past three years. No, he has. And speaking of Reggie Gilbert, he got himself a sack too on Sunday, which is nice to see. He's one of those feel good stories. And I think I think if Jake Ryan is there, Gilbert's on the pr- uh, practice squad uh, still, and we're not seeing what he can do. So it's nice to see him out there and putting him work as well. That, that's completely fair. Um, I mean, I would like to see a little bit more of Oren Burks. I know they've been trying to bring him along slowly just because he has struggled a little bit because he is raw and he's learning the position. But, I mean, Reggie Gilbert, like, if he was on the practice squad and, like, Jake Ryan, like, even, like, I get Jake Ryan's healthy, but if, Re- if Reggie Gilbert wasn't on like the opening day roster, I would have been massively confused because he the guys had two great preseasons i know everyone's like oh it's just preseason it doesn't matter but the guy like the guy goes out and he performs it's still live nfl competition believe it or not so exactly i i, I can't say when people say preseason doesn't matter it doesn't matter for you know the aaron Rodgers and the tom brady's of the world it matters for guys like gilbert and if he's going out there and playing hard because chances are if you're playing a lot in the preseason you're either playing for your job or you're an early round pick and you're trying to learn the ropes those guys are all playing hard in the preseason, fighting for their jobs. And like you said, he played, he had two very good games in the preseason, and it matters. He's playing meaningful, not meaningful football, but it's live action that, you know, other teams and your coaches are going to look at the film. And that's the most comparable thing that you have. You can't look at practice tape, you have to look at live film. So the fact that he had a great preseason, I agree, it, it kind of put him on the map for the Packers. And I think it's funny how in the offseason and even going through the preseason, we all thought pass rush was this team's biggest weakness. But here we are, what is it, week 11, and Green Bay is tied for the league in sacks. And honestly, if if I didn't know that based on looking at the stats, I wouldn't believe you. That's just kind of how it's felt. I don't know about you guys, but it just doesn't feel like we get to the quarterback as much as we do. I, I completely agree. Uh, when I, When I saw that stat, I think it was yesterday or this morning, I was like, that can't be right. I was like, that's got to be a typo. There's no way that we have 31 31 sacks as a team. But I think it's because we're getting contributions from everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not just, we don't, we're not like the, we're not like Denver where Von Miller's going to account for 30% 30 of our sacks or Clay Matthews in his prime when he accounted for 25, 30% of the team's sacks. It's we get sacks from everyone. You said it yourself. The team leaders have five apiece. The team leaders have five sacks apiece, so that's a third of our sacks. But I mean, but if you, but that's a, that's total, or that's two people. 
two people make up a third of the sacks. We get sacks from everybody. And that's the beautiful thing. It's there's no better feeling than not having to rely on one single person. It's anytime you turn your shoulder, it could be Josh Jones coming out of the secondary. It could be Jair coming off the corner blitz. You never know what you're going to get with Patton. And that's why for the first time in a long time, it's not scary to watch the Packers defense. It's actually a thing of joy. So the pass rush as a whole has been steady. Obviously we feel like there's a lot of lapses as far as who's getting the next sack. But, I mean, there is a beauty to that as well as you don't know who is going to be getting after the quarterback game in and game out. I mean, yeah, for sure, for sure. Antonio Morrison even has a sack, um, which uh, I don't know if you guys know anything about Antonio Morrison from last year. I, he didn't really do anything this week, but it was something that he, he had a sack a couple weeks ago, and it was a great play, like great read on his part, where – when he was in Indy, he was he did next to nothing outside of run defense. And the fact that he was able to generate some rush right there, I think is another credit to Petten that he just Petten just does not get enough credit for like the work that he's able to do. The fact that he was able to turn Antonio Morrison into a semi playable person. Morrison was one of the worst linebackers in football last season. So the fact that when they traded for him, I was like, Okay, he's gonna get cut in a week. And then now he's here playing meaningful snaps. I was like, All right, well then. So is it fair to say now that pretty much in the, ever since we won the Super Bowl, is it fair to say that Capers has been the issue on defense and not so much the talent? Nah, kind of, yes, but no. Uh, I mean, you could, make the, you could make that argument due to the fact that, uh, what's his name, um, Demarius Randall is a top 30 cor- uh, safety in the NFL right now, um, and he was being played as a cornerback because that's what like they drafted and gave to Capers. So while... All like while a lot of the blame can go to Capers for the scheme and his lack of ability to adjust to modern football, I can't put all of it on him because there was just so much like incompetent. Like there was like like I want to put all I want to put all of it on him, but you can't. There was just so much incompetent play from players on the field, and injuries just ravaged this team for year after year. When they lost to the Falcons in that uh, NFC Championship game. Their number one quarter was Dimitri Goodson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you really put all of the blame on Capers in that situation? Oh, not at all. It's just something that you know comes to mind. I agree completely that he can't have all the blame because you know in the past few years this defense is more fragile than glass. So, like you said, when you got Goodson as your number one corner and an NFC title game having to cover Julio Jones, which I still have nightmares about that game and. And just the pain that he caused the entire defense. We all do, Adam. We all have. Oh yeah, have those nightmares. Oh, and don't even get me going about Seattle heading in there. That's a different story. But no, I agree. Not all the blame can go on Dom, but you know, a good part of it, like you said, he. It, it felt like it wasn't to me that he couldn't adjust to modern football. I just felt like he didn't want to. Sometimes I felt like he was just stuck in his ways of his old Carolina defense and the Packers Super Bowl defense that he didn't want to change it. Well, I, for one, am really glad Capers is not drawing up the scheme for tomorrow's game. Yeah. The Packers are facing the number one run defense or run offense, um, rush offense in Seattle. Blake Martinez is questionable. Bryce is out. Perry is out. King is out again. We may see more Morrison if Martinez is as banged up as they say. Um, 
Um, Randall Cobb also ruled out, like didn't even make the flight out there. It's a mess, <laughs> it's a mess right now. But it's, it's okay because that uh, just means more Marquez Valdez Scantling and yes, more Equinemius St. Brown. I'm so excited. Maybe just, even a Jamon Moore sighting. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind that. I like seeing these young guys get in. It only helps them going down the line. And I, already with MVS, it just seems like him and Rogers have that chemistry down. You know, not to the Jordy Nelson extent, but it, you know, having him be nine games into his career and only playing. Well, I think he's played about six or seven of them. It seems like they got a pretty pretty good connection right now. There was um, I forget who it was on Twitter the odd the day of the game uh, when there was a rare instance of a incompletion from Rogers to MVS. And I was like, that's so right. It's crazy to think about a rookie already. It just, when it's thrown in his direction, you almost assume he's coming down with it. And that's, that's a dangerous feeling because then you start getting frustrated on the tough catches that you have to remind yourself like, Hey, this guy hasn't even played a full season yet. Let's pump the brakes, but it doesn't help when he's made some of the plays that he has. I mean, just, just the speed and his ability just to burn corners without even having to make a double move. It's unbelievable. I mean, no, even we're when not pumping that, the brakes. MBS for, no, it, my bad, my bad. No pumping the brakes. MBS, rookie of the year, it's decided. And Jair for defense, <laughs> rookie of the year on that note. Accurate, 100%. Done. Is, is MBS better than Cobb even when Cobb's healthy? Yes. Unanimous, yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Animus>, yes. <laughs> I mean, did you like? Have you seen him play? He's a better big play threat. I like he. They, the Packers don't use him like a gadget player, and that's completely okay. He's a better like he has a better ability to make big plays happen, which is just like that's what that's what wins you football games. Everyone th- like consistency wins you games, and big plays win you games. Against New England, what beat us was a trick gadget play from Edelman to Josh Gordon and a double move. Like it's just. Big plays can win you games, and MBS is a legitimate big play threat every single time he touches the ball. And not only that, he also helps take the stress in the eyes off Devontae, which is huge because we all know what Devontae could do on one-on-ones and with open space. He can, he can make a man five yards away look silly. Yeah. So how important is tomorrow's matchup in terms of the scope of the Packers' season? Obviously, Chicago... Minnesota must win. play Sunday night. I mean, I said must last win, week against Miami, it was we were getting into must-win t- territory. How big is tomorrow night's game? It's, no, I agree. It's, it's a, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, no. I was just going to say it's a must-win. If they lose, they have to win out in order to be a 10-win team. And with the NFC looking so strong, 10 wins might not be good enough for a wild-card spot. They're going to have to hope that they win the division. I think it's a must win after the fiasco after the fiasco against Detroit and after blowing the lead against Minnesota at home they have to go to Minnesota still this is a must win game I think it's a very winnable game but it's still a must win game I agree must win it is winnable it will be tough playing in Seattle but regardless um you look at the rosters the Packers have the better team in my eyes uh, I don't know about you but I think I think the Packers have the better team and I agree it's a must-win because of what you were saying, that in terms of the playoff picture, Seattle wins this game. I believe they'll put them to 5-5. Five and five. They'll have the head-to-head over us, such as the Redskins already do. If the Redskins happen to slip out of the East, you know they would have the one-up over us for beating us. So this game is very important if you're looking at a wild-card spot because of that head-to-head. If you know we finish with the same amount of wins as Seattle, they're in. 
So you have to win this game to ensure that you have the head-to-head over your and somebody else in your conference. And we aren't even taking into account what a road win would do for this team's confidence. They haven't won on the road yet this year. And you, if you go in and beat the twelfth man, like I don't, it could be astronomical. And especially having to travel to Minnesota right after, that would be a huge confidence booster, is right. Because you, know, you could win as many home games as you want to. The way that the Packers are going, you need to win on the road if you want to make the playoffs or be successful in the playoffs. You have to win on the road. Yeah, because I mean, Los Angeles automatic like is gonna be Los Angeles or the or uh, New Orleans. Sorry, are gonna have advantage over them. They're gonna be a top seed. They're gonna have to go to those places and win in those places, which are just obviously they've shown they can win in Los Angeles. I don't know, like the Superdome, different animal. But I mean, they won a Super Bowl there, so they could win there. Um, I think, but I think, but I mean, they're obviously going to have to go on the road. They got to figure out how to win on the road sooner rather than later. And I like how you brought up Los Angeles right there because I don't know if the feeling's the same with you two. If the Packers get the Rams again in Los Angeles, I'm not scared one bit. I feel like it'll be no. like a Super Bowl run all over again. They they lose to Atlanta in the regular season. They walk in there in the divisional round and they wax them. I feel like maybe not wax the Rams. I feel like they could beat the Rams again straight up in the playoffs without a doubt. I'm not scared of that team. Especially now with Cooper Cup out, like they're That's huge. Even less dangerous. Like, yeah, he was out in the matchup, but I, Alexander nearly erased Brandon Cooks. He was all over him. The only catches he made, Alexander was just on him like glue. That was like that was his coming out party. Like obviously this whole year he's been playing well, but like when you can just stick with that with a guy with that speed and that playmaking ability, that that is your announcement to the league like, yeah, I'm legit. You're guys, you're all going to have to deal with me. And about Jair too, I think I might have said this last week, but the I can't remember the last time the Packers have had such uh, an explosive, you know, confident guy with so much swagger in their secondary, you know, the only one I can think of really is Charles Woodson, who wasn't afraid to talk a little bit. Besides that, the Packers haven't really had those those chirpy players that are going to get in your face and say, do something about it. I, Jair is the first one, and I hope it starts a trend of many more to come. Agreed. Definitely. And obviously, the Rams are still such a dangerous team. And oh, if it came sure. between them and the Saints, I'm, I want to face Jared Goff, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if I want to get back to tomorrow's game, I think if Green Bay wins tomorrow, they could win out. I agree. I agree. Looking ahead, I mean, what's left? Minnesota, Chicago, Atlanta, Atlanta at home, or like yeah, it's a home game. And at, but Atlanta's offense this year has just cooked some people. Now, like their record doesn't show it, but they have cooked some people. They've had, Matt Ryan has had some instances of. Alec or of Aaron Rodgers in the mid like in these past like five years or so of he's played super well the offense has played super well but the defense just let them down they had back-to-back weeks where they put up 45 40 some points and lost like that this offense might be better than the one from a couple years ago it's it's close they've had more down games than they did a couple years ago but it's when it's on it's just scary I agree. I think also with every team in the NFC, for the most part, you have to have that mentality. Because even Seattle, I don't think their record 
uh, signals the team that they are. I don't think they're the Seahawks of the past, but I don't think they're a four and five team for say. So really, I mean, any team moving forward besides Arizona, New York, you can't take that lightly. And even Arizona with a conference game, I still want to say take it lightly. That's a that's a must win game also for you know a one win one two win squad. You have to win those games that you can win, and then you look at the games like Minnesota, uh, Seattle, Atlanta, and you know you have to win those. Definitely. Any any final thoughts for you guys before we wrap this up? And what's your guys' prediction for tomorrow? Ooh, I, I mean, obviously I'm going to roll with the Packers. I think I think it'll be closer. I think it'll be, I'll say, 27 to 21. I think the defense gives up a couple touchdowns. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I think, just takes over at the end and controls the game. Brandon? I'll say um, 24-17. Rodgers scores late in the fourth quarter to put him ahead. I think it's going to come down to keeping Russell Wilson inside the pocket. That's my key to the game. Um. I'm gonna I'm gonna also roll with the Packers. I actually think that the I think the defense is a lot better than they get credit for. Now I don't I don't think they're elite at all, but I think they're a lot better than they get credit for, and I think that they're actually able to slow down these Seattle receivers because I think Alexander is gonna give Baldwin fits. Um, I think Raven Green is a welcome breath of is a breath of fresh air. Um, and Williams is able to cover that deep ball a little bit better on Tyler Lockett. No one else on that offense really scares me, like especially with Chris Carson being out. So I'm actually going to go Green Bay 30-17. to 17. Let's hope so, so our hearts can maintain a normal pace all night. Dude, I haven't had that in weeks. <laughs> in weeks. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure again, Gage and Adam, um, and thank you everyone out there for listening to just another edition of Dairyland Talk, and we'll see you again next week. Go Pack Go! Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.